I'm ready to cut it up. Say, wait a minute. Add it up. Add it up. Add it up. Add it up. Say what you got. You got to add it up and add it up on my day. Ready to make. I get angry and I will say that the day is in my sights when I think about and say goodnight. Oh, mama, 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 have you kept your eyes, your eyes on your son? I know you got problems, you're not the only one. When you should have left, you left, you want to run. Oh, mama, 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 take a look now what your boy has done. He's walking around like he's one by one. He went downtown and got in the gun. So don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. You know you got my sympathy, but don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. You know you got my sympathy, but don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me. Hello, everybody. Ah, first time, long time. Well, tip of the cap to you, sir. Or madam, although let's be real. Let's, let's just look at the demographics. Where to cop? Honestly, I don't know. I got it on uh, eBay? I think it might be original, and if, it's, if it is a knockoff, I don't think they make a lot. Best part about this, by the way. Honestly, no, no joke. Better than all the stuff on it, you know? This. Look at that lighting. Huh? Just a nice... How often do you see this kind of... Kind of nice... Orange. I feel like orange is a good color for me. Might start wearing more orange. Ah. Yeah, this is legitimately... I mean, uh, probably the most expensive clothes piece of clothing I've ever purchased in my life. 100%. It wasn't that much either, but uh, I generally buy uh, my clothes. When I lived near Kroger, I bought my pants and stuff at Kroger because they had good selection and it was where I was getting my, uh, my groceries. So One-stop shop. And I have like 500 in my top. It's generally just, I have 500 different Old Navy shirts that all cost $3. So yes, slave labor, all of it. This puppy. I have a, I have a mic plugged in. Is it not good. How's that? Is that good? Because sometimes it doesn't connect. Turn the volume up. Is that better? Okay, good. I sound fine. Uh, yes, it was made by the prisoners of Con Air. This thing. Oh yeah, I just grew up from a place where you wouldn't want to spend a lot of clothing on money on clothing. It just wasn't done. <clears throat> Maybe girls, but certainly not guys. I don't know what girls were doing. It was a mysterious realm. Oh man, Matt Carp. I would like to do an app about with Matt Carp soon. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to him on the show about Benjamin Butler for a while, who I think is a fascinating figure. Uh, uh, so Benjamin Butler, uh, before the Civil War, was a uh, was a Northern Democrat, like in the doughface mold. He was a he was a guy who uh, was part of the the urban machinery in Massachusetts of the democracy of Van Buren and Jackson's democracy that was broadly up until the very end of the sectional crisis, uh, all about uh, turning the other way towards slavery, turning a blind eye towards slavery in exchange for the support of the uh, southern tier, which was largely, uh, was, um, was hegemonically democratic at that point. So they didn't like rocking the boat on slavery, and they didn't much care for abolitionists either. Uh, and then he became a politically appointed general, meaning he was not a career officer. He was a guy who had political influence and uh, was got a commission in the Union military due to that 
con uh, connection, and that was a common feature of both armies. Uh, and then he was one of the first general, one of the first Union generals, uh, to uh, free slaves in places where his forces uh, uh, took command uh, ahead of the Emancipation Proclamation. Had to, uh, he, he actually had to be reprimanded for doing it. Uh, but it was a war measure. It was like, we need, pitches, we need ditches dug, we need X, Y, and Z. Here's some slave, for, slaves, well now they work for us. Perfect. Uh, it wasn't really ideological, but it was in advance of policy, which at that point was to not spook the border states by uh, freeing slaves where they were found. The other guy, incidentally, who did that and got in trouble for it was John C. Fremont, who had been the Republican, who was the kind of free boutonniere, uh, uh, like, uh, professional adventurer who had been the Republican nominee in 19, 1856. And then Butler ended up being the governor of uh, military governor of New Orleans once it was occupied. During which time he was so outrageous to the good people, the fine, upstanding society types of New Orleans, that his picture was emblazoned on the bottom of chamber pots, so that people could literally shit on his face. And uh, they called him the Beast, and also Spoons because he was alleged to have stolen the hell out of uh, uh, property from a lot of the big plantations and. And, and home um, families. If we and, and by the way, he did and good. Who cares? Uh, also, uh, he passed a uh, proclamation that said that any Southern woman, any New Orleans woman who did not uh, pay proper respect to a Union soldier uh, on the street, like because a lot of them were cursing uh, the the Yankee troops, and of course, you know, getting away with it because they were women, and at that time. You know, even a soldier could not uh, even raise his voice to a woman in public. Uh, and so Butler declared that any woman who did not respect a Union soldier uh, in the city of New Orleans would be treated as a prostitute, as in could be, you know, accosted and taken to jail. Uh, and so that's, and then he, after the war, this is a really interesting part, is that the experience of fighting the war radicalized him. The way it did a lot of people. He's just sort of a most, the most prominent example of someone who was radicalized by the experience of fighting the war. He started the war as a, as a northern uh, doe face who, like a lot for who, who for like him, for a lot of those guys, uh, didn't really care about slavery, but for whom breaking up the union was just non-negotiable. Which was also true of Stephen Douglas, like who's the exemplar of that tendency within the party at the very end. And then he, go, he fights the war and comes out a radical Republican. And he was a radical Republican member of Congress uh, after the war who, who pushed very hard for uh, black equality and in fact uh, coined the phrase the bloody shirt to, uh, by holding up an actual bloody shirt of someone who'd been attacked by, uh, by a red shirt redeemer in the Reconstruction South uh, as a calumny against the Democrats, although it wasn't really a calumny, because they were, in fact, doing that and, and condoning it all across the South. But a very fascinating figure, and his career, I think, like speaks to it speaks to just how much of a of a furnace of change, of a hot house, the 1860s were in this country. The way that social ferment was, the way that the social, the glacial social tectonics just sort of liquefied, like you would have during an earthquake. Yeah, uh, James Longstreet became a Republican after the war, which is why he's not very heavily featured in Lost Cause shit, even though he was one of the better generals. And of course was the guy who knew that the fucking Pickett's Charge wasn't going to work because it wasn't 1812 anymore, you dumb hick. Uh, yeah, he was, a, he, was a, he, was a, he was a scallywag, not a carpetbagger. It's amazing. I remember learning about Reconstruction, and that was just the name of the chapter. It's like, okay, so these are the scumbags who came to the South and fucked it up after the Civil War. Now, these are the traitors to their people among the whites, and these are the uh, among the locals, and these are the uh, the the, cro the crooked uh, Yankee interlopers from the North.
1867 project, why not? Keeping it 1867. Robert La Follette. I only really know anything about him because he's from Wisconsin. He's sort of our, uh, our, our, lo our long family is the La Follettes. And they were bas basically like the scrubbed up uh, middle class version of the Longs, where it's populism, but, you know, let's not get too crazy. It's, it's populism for uh, college professors, which is why one of the big components of the uh, Wisconsin idea that uh, La Follette championed was a very, very uh, lavishly funded public higher education system, which is one of the reasons that, until recently, I don't know what it has been under Walker, but until recently, the UW system was one of the best state university systems in the country. But uh, they've been taking a pickaxe to it, obviously, for years, and, and Walker really accelerated it. Oh God, these fucking, the, the president saying, oh, we're all going to take the vaccine to prove it's safe. Who, what human being on earth who is skeptical of the vaccine would not be skeptical of a video of a, of a fucking uh, Obama taking a vaccine? How many of them would think that that was real? What reason would they give? Especially when we have videotape of Barfsackle Crumbo himself at Flint after the water crisis was unveiled, taking a big, dramatic pull on a glass of Flint tap water that in fact, what's this? Oh, he's not, he's not, he's only not going about that. But no, he's definitely taking the vaccine that they put through, uh, you know, in under, they, they, they uh, he's gonna take the vaccine that was rushed through development and you could say, well, yeah, mostly that just means removing bureaucratic hurdles. Yes, still. Still. You think they're taking that chance? Honestly, if they are, it's because there's already been a rich person cure for months, if not always, if it wasn't a bioweapon. I'm not saying it was, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, how the hell does Chuck Grassley not even get symptoms? The man is 87 years old. Yeah, it's hard not to see all the vaccine shit. It's just it's just bumping up the stock market for for short-term liquidity boosts for these fucking jackals. Just priming the pump a little bit, little bursts. The dog is barking again. The dog didn't used to bark this much. Maybe it's new. Or maybe it's colder, I don't know. Rupert Murdoch is buying Twitch. Amazon selling Twitch to uh, Fox. Well, not Fox, because Disney owns Fox. I guess News Corp. That's crazy. Oh, thank you for saying my streams are the best. God, we did watch Avengement. I can't believe somebody is bringing up Avengement. It's uh, this British crime movie that was on, that's on Netflix. We, I watched it with Felix and Will. One of the funniest things I've seen in a while. Uh, it's one of the most British things I've seen in a while, that's for sure. I mean, I'll probably take the vaccine. Who am I going to lie about? I mean... It's just like when the th when does anyone realistically think that's going to happen in such a time in in in, a, in terms of returning to some sort of normality that people are craving? Like, what is the time frame there? Because it seems like we really don't have the infrastructure or the public trust to carry out any kind of large scale vaccination program that could I mean I used to think well fine you know then you'll take it or you won't but apparently that doesn't it doesn't work that way apparently you actually need people to take it on a large scale in order to get the results 
in terms of infection, transmission reduction, that would facilitate reopening. So fine, that's not happening then. It would be interesting if, uh, like, the vaccine, like, mandating vaccine use becomes a political issue beyond just a culture war one. Uh, and you see, you know, I get apparently what Biden wants to do, and this is not very hard to imagine, or not Biden, I forgot, somebody else, maybe it was Yang, I don't know. I honestly think this is what the lender doing, some sort of financial incentive to get people to take it. Like, 75%, according to a poll, say they'll take it. But even if that's true, and who knows? Is that enough, one? And two, how do you get 75% of the people to get the vaccine in this fucking country? I'm not, I'm not going to stop the streams to do uh, the book because i got to read a lot first. I can't just start writing it now. And I want to go. Th- I want to do it as a little book club. Oh, by the way, I've decided I am going to start reading uh, to the Republic of Richard Sand, which is the Oxford English... Or I, it's the Oxford American History volume on that era, uh, and it's been very well reviewed, uh, and it's a good baseline to block build off. And uh, I'll probably talk about it on the stream here. If people want to read along, they can. It's called to the, uh, the Republic for Which It Stands, and it's about the uh, Reconstruction Era, but also the Gilded Age, like the whole thing thwarted together. Then we can, I'm going to read Fauna after that one. I would love to give people pizza coupons for reading, like Book It. I remember Book It. You get the little book, and it was easy for me because I was a little nerd. I loved reading, so I would go down there and I'd get my little personal pan on the weekly. Somebody asked for my, what my take is on the Kievan Rus, and I think that's just funny because that's just such a hilarious question if you think about it. Like, uh, yeah, Kievan Rus, what do you think? Uh, scrappy hustlers. The guys, they wanted it more, you can tell. I don't know. I'm wrong about Domino's Super Thin Crust? Uh, I'm afraid you are wrong, sir. So Domino's Super Thin Crust is delicious. I did like those little tiny pizzas. Hold me closer, tiny pizzas. Oh, and I wanted to also give my final uh, take now on Fargo, having watched the last uh, full season, which hilariously is one episode longer than every other season. Close the door on this whole idea that TV is is the thing you should care about for anything other than just pure entertainment. Read a book. Because, man, the the Olympian contempt for the audience that's in that show. Pretty breathtaking. And if you're going to say that that's good, why wouldn't they have contempt for you, you know? I did watch Queen's Gambit. It is a a story about a a gamer girl and her simps. I mean, I'm not the only one to have said that, but it's very hard uh, to see it any other way. It's like an idealized version of of the relationship between uh, a a gamer, a a lady gamer, and uh, and her simps coming together, not in a spirit of competition, but cooperative. uh, And a cooperative endeavor to, to stand her. 
do I have allergies? Weird question, but yes. Right, I got hay fever and then I got a pine nut allergy, which developed in my like 30s too, which is very odd. Just one day I went and ate a pine nut, my mouth started tingling, very weird. It does inhibit my bistro salad options, it's true. And pesto. I always have to, when, I, when there's pesto on the menu, I have to make sure that there's not pine nuts in it. And actually, a lot of time there aren't, because pine nuts are pretty expensive, so a lot of times they cheap out, put almonds in there or something. Is, is that true that Game of Thrones got Rome canceled? Because if that's true, that's kind of poetic justice because Rome got Deadwood canceled. Because Rome was going to have a huge budget and they essentially said we'd rather spend it on these, these uh, Roman sets than on the Deadwood set. And then they just shot poor David Milch's horse in the head. Much like the horses whose heads they shot uh, during the filming of Luck. And so if it's true that then it's like, hey, sorry, we're making, we're making Middle Earth sets. You gotta go. So it makes sense that they would get rid of Rome that way. I mean, Rome was, I only watched the first season. I didn't really like it that much. The, the only character I found really compelling every time they were on screen was Caesar. And so when they killed him, I was like, why do I have to watch the second season? I don't like, Octavian is a little pissant, fuck him. Also, apparently in the second season, they collapsed the timeline of, like, the whole, uh, like, the collapse of the triumvirate and, like, the war. Of the first, the war, the civil war with, like, Octavian, or, I mean, with uh, Brutus and, and uh, Mark Antony, and then the war between uh, Octavian and, and Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Whatever. I had to work in a hard science, what would I pick? Uh, well, I would be a janitor then, because I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. If my brain did work that way, I think it's physics. Physics seems, because it's the most like, but not the math thing, I can't do math. So there, the whole thing goes apart. What's the one where you don't have to do math? I don't know. Yeah, it's all math. No thanks. Yeah, I mean, I've got my immortal, I've got the immortal science, of course. Of course, I have the immortal science, but that doesn't require any math beyond uh, CMC, Music Factory. Somebody's had to have had that as a Twitter uh, name, right? CMC Music Factory. Disgusting. Or I'm pissed at it, and I don't even know if it exists. It's too bad that all the cool 19th century sciences aren't, aren't around anymore. Like, I would love to be a phrenologist. That sounds wonderful. To have a chart with a bunch of bumps and be like, ah, okay, let me just take this. And I put here, in the hemisphere here, this, is, this corresponds to uh, shiftlessness. and Easy. Those body, body language experts seem like they're having a good time. Handwriting analysis, that's another good one that's still around that's not real.
What is my most prominent humor? I think it's phlegmatic. I gotta be honest with myself. I think I'm phlegmatic. Phlegmatic, there you go. How do you, hey, sorry. There's no G in phlegmatic? Fuck off. It sounds like you're just trying to trick people. English language just exists to trick people. It's fucked up. Phlegmatic? See, you're saying, oh, it's like phlegm. Phlegm doesn't have a G. Right, but Quixote is pronounced quixotic. So just the fact that that's the thing it's coming from doesn't mean that's how you're supposed to say it. It's quixotic. I've been I've been gaslit on that. It is not quixotic. I'm sorry. Have I read Eduardo Galeano? I've read uh, Nazi poets in the Americas, which was good, but that's it. I haven't read 206066 or anything. Or no, that's Bolaño. No, I have not read Bolaño. That's a different guy. Trying to keep my humors, uh, I'm trying to keep my humors balanced. I'd like to be sanguine, though. I think that's the best one. Evola. That's a weird question. Evola. Uh, I, the only thing I like, the, the thing that I'm immune, the thing that I think about when I think of Evola is that uh, he would, during the, the, during the Allied bombing raids of Rome, he would go for walks uh, out during them, you know, as some sort of uh, defiance or, you know, uh, ritualized kind of confrontation with death and chance whatever the hell was going on in his head. And then one time he got fucking hit with shrapnel in his spine and got paralyzed. <laughs> he fucked around and he found out. I think that's pretty funny. thoughts on Tom Lair. I mean, uh, there's something very endearing about the idea of a guy who became a huge uh, political musical satirist, a job that doesn't really exist anymore, uh, while also being a math 
savant and a professor. And, astoundingly, he's fucking alive. He's alive! Still, he's like 95. Amazing. Although, when I listen to those, like I listen to Werner Von Braun or something, uh, or we'll all go together when you go and you watch a YouTube video and it's, it's him in front of an audience and there's all these polite, these polite liberals in suits with very thin ties. You can just imagine the ties, even if you can't see them, all chuckling. And I just think, man, that audience would have been absolutely insufferable. What historical figure would have the best podcast? That's interesting. Hmm. Well, they would have to be a rock on tour, of course. I'd have to have, uh, I mean, obviously an answer that comes up, well, historical figure, not really, that's not really a historical figure. How many historical, how many like non, how many historical figure? I mean, who, uh, what contemporary historical figures have, uh, have podcasts? Frank, ben Franklin is a good answer. Uh, Churchill's would just be like uh, like Anthony Cumia's eventually, I think. I gotta say, people talk about like, oh, Marx would be good on Twitter, Marx would be good with the podcast. I think about how much he loved getting into arguments, and I just think, I'm so glad he was not. Because even if there is, was someone with his, like, you know, combination of insight and, and, and uh, you know, critical faculties and everything and, and articulation of ability, if they went online, they would get their brain turned into soup immediately by trying to, you know, fight it out. Trying to, trying to, trying to make the args pop. Now, when he, but, you know, he was doing it in a context where... Like, the working class movement was literally being born around him. And so there was a real reason that he needed to be incredibly strident in denouncing people who were filled with bullshit. And the people that he condemned, for the most part, were absolutely full of bullshit. And their prescriptions were uh, bad. <laughs> Nixon would have been a great podcast. Talk about Anthony Cumia. Holy mackerel. interesting cult. Okay, now we're talking. Uh, I mean, Om Shimrikyo is fascinating on a million levels. Uh, just how big it got, how deeply it penetrated a Japanese mass culture. I mean, the guy was a regular, the, the guy, Shoko Hashihara, the, he, the, the head of Om Shimrikyo, was a regular late night talk show guest. He was, he was, he was like a uh, uh, he was like, like Paul Rudd on uh, on Conan O'Brien. Like he would come on and he'd show the clip from Mac and Me. Uh, they had compounds all over Japan, one in uh, the outback of Australia. They had uh, they purchased uh, Soviet surplus military equipment, including helicopters. They manufactured machine guns. They of course, had the sarin. They might have been pursuing the purchase of or construction of a nuclear weapon. They had an astounding amount of, of actual practical scientific know-how because they could they uh, recruited so heavily among uh, among scientists. And it was commercialized. The guy sold his bath water and vials. He sold a spaghetti strainer you could put on your head that would give you the same thoughts as Shoko Ashihara. Amazing. Yeah, and then when you think about the fact that it all kind of blew up, I mean, they were planning to create a nuclear war. 
They were essentially like spiritual, they were, they were like uh, Eastern Posadists coming at it from the other side. Like cleansing the earth and then rising from, uh, with nuclear fire and then rising from the ashes. And they ended up doing this Tokyo subway attack as a distraction because they were about to get raided by the cops eventually, finally, after they just ignored them doing insane murders for years, partially because there were police officers and people in the justice department, whatever they want to call it, who were, who were high level and also members of the group. It's astounding. So whenever I think of an of a interesting cult, just in terms of its complexity, its, its, its structure and its, its ambition, uh, Am Shimrikyo is up there. And uh, I don't know who it was, but somebody pointed out that the case of uh, the case, uh, if you wanted to, the Am Rikyo is essentially what people claimed Al Qaeda was. Like Am Shimrikyo, in its capacity and its intent, were what the Western media after 9 11 claimed Al Qaeda was in terms of its sophistication of its uh, structures. Uh, and its ability to access uh, uh, weaponry and, and, and uh, up to and including chemical and biological and perhaps nuclear. Uh, also, an army of totally loyal and willing uh, 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 acolytes uh, with a goal of world destruction. That was, that was, that was Al-Qaeda in the Western imagination. And yet, it was essentially destroyed as a threat by arresting a bunch of people. Meanwhile, Al-Qaeda, which was never anything like Aum Shimrikyo as a threat, becomes the, the focal point of a new foreign policy. But of course, that's because it was all a lie, da-dai, da-doi. It was a new, it was a new uh, guiding principle of the eternal war economy that needed a new narrative justification after the fall of the Soviet Union. The South Korean cult, very interesting. Yeah, uh, the, the South Korean president was was overthrown in a like a democratic. It was almost like a democratic coup. It was it was it was mass demonstrations that forced a uh, abdication of power uh, outside of the structures of government because of the relationship between the Korean president, who was the daughter of. Uh, the last Korean dictator uh, who was killed by his own security chief uh, in the Blue House, I believe, and was also in the thrall of this, uh, this cult. I don't know much about it because it's very Korea-specific, but uh, it's, it's, it's astounding how, how deeply entwined that ruling dynasty was with, with a, uh, a family of religious grifters. But I don't know how you know big the group was, or how sophisticated, or how ambitious their thing were beyond getting money. Because the thing that really brought them down was, you know, that there were just gobs of money were going to this group. Falun Gong as Japanese or as uh, Falun Gong as Chinese QAnon is actually probably a pretty good comparison, although of course it's much 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 more sophisticated socially and uh, and powerful and influential because you're dealing with more people uh, and, and tighter communities because it's very popular in like immigrant communities and it's also CIA funded, uh, which maybe QAnon is. A lot of people want to think QAnon is an op, but the thing about a lot of this stuff that people assume is, is conspiracies and is behind, uh, you know, being manipulated behind the scenes, none of it to me reads as anything other than a symptom of the system we have. Like QAnon, to me, the argument that it started from a shit poster, I mean, it makes sense. And I think the thing that really matters is that we live in a world where the actual way things turn out 
and the way they would turn out if they were being manipulated by an Illuminati-like reptile overlord class is identical. And that's because the conspiracies we generate, the narratives we generate, are just an attempt to give uh, an articulation and a mind's eye concept of the thing that's happening right in front of our eyes, which is full capitalist miseration over, over our overcoming all, every aspect of life. And to me, that is, that is the important thing. And that is why I try to remain aloof from real debates about the truth or falseness of specific theories of, uh, you know, conspiracy or, or uh, deep state involvement in one or another element of, of anything, because if it's true or not, we have the same task. If it's true or not, we have the same task. It is to build uh, new institutions that can reflect organized power. And that's true whether the whether all of whether the the web is a is a spook in the uh, whether the web and and all of our online argumentation and all of our uh, seemingly insurmountable cultural uh, conflicts are spooks in the sternering sense or spooks in the uh, espionage sense. Either way, the answer is the same. And the reason that that matters is because you're not going to ever know. You're never going to know. And more importantly than that, even if you did know, what would you do with the information? There's a reason that every conspiracy narrative ends with a court scene, a courtroom scene of some kind. Whether it's QAnon, whether it's JFK, whether it's QAnon imagined military tribunals, and eventually one day show trials that they always promise are going to be over the horizon. Uh, or I just rewatched the end of X-Files, the original last two episodes that concluded the show uh, uh, in 2002. And it ends with a fucking trial. Mulder on trial. Like the conspiracy, the, the happy ending of every conspiracy movie is, 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 a, is some sort of trial or testimony. Like before a Senate committee or something. Because the underlying assumption is with the conspiracy theory as conspiracy theory as practice is that if enough people know, then that will change something. But all that we're learning from conspiracy theory is a narrative articulation of the thing that's happening right in front of our faces. And that we're not doing anything about now. The task that you're imagining is going to be uh, carried out by this oh, consciousness raising about specific bad actors is actually your attempt to imagine a class project, a, 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 an attempt to imagine real politics, a second way, as I said, to challenge the existing one. And that will not come in the form of appeals to institutions within the, the, that are embedded within, like courts and the media, because they, they take everything that is shocking and horrifying and monstrous and that leave us uh, with a blood-curdling sense of our helplessness before a system of total rapidity and turn it banal and turn it into received wisdom, turn it into a thing that everybody knows. And then we just move on with our lives. Everybody knows that the game... Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guy's lost. Everybody knows dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the fight is fixed. The, rich, the poor stay poor. The rich stay rich. Featured prominently in the classic Christian Slater film, Pump Up the Volume, which is about a proto-podcaster, a young ham radio enthusiast who scandalizes his small town by exposing the petty hypocrisies of the, of the worthies of the city and of the school board. 
it really is like a model of, it's like the it's the media model of change that we all have internalized at some point and which I know I have of you get on that microphone and you tell the people the truth and they hear enough truth and they just have to do something about it I think that's what undergirds everybody at some romantic level when they carry out the the, the, the goal of a, of a media project How good is Alex Jones in the Linkletter movie? I have to say, I saw Waking Life as a kid. It blew my mind, obviously. Uh, and the the scene where Alex Jones is just hollering into that uh, 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 microphone in the car, his head's turning into a fireball. It was it's incendiary. Uh, and just to think that not, he'd end up just like trying to get a Republican president reelected. Unbelievable. I have I have tried to rewatch Waking Life like later after I got older and I was like holy shit this is not good, wow, wow wow we wow I am a little embarrassed that but you know hey we're dumbasses when we're kids for the most part maybe you weren't but I sure as hell was, I was a dumbass, still am, just slightly maybe less in certain ways. God if Trump pardons Ghislaine Maxwell. If Trump pardons Ghislaine Maxwell as his last act out the door, just as a final smoke bomb of cognitive dissonance, oh my god, I would die laughing. Because, I mean, nothing's going to happen anyway. At least that would be funny. I mean, Q is already branching off. You're seeing it already. Uh, Richard Jewell's lawyer in Georgia is calling on uh, that Phillips lady, uh, Sidney Phillips, and Michael Flynn to run for president on like an election integrity Q platform. And, I mean, I don't know what will come of any of that. My guess is people will get, lose interest and come back into the fold the way they always end up doing because doing anything other is too hard. And we just don't have the investment in anything other than the, the minimum amount of, uh, of just spectacle indulgence, meaning what to watch and maybe voting, but not, not the hard work of, of like creating a new political movement. But uh, I've said before, and I think might be true, you might see a return to quietism politically among some of these Q people. Because if you see Trump lose the election, even though he won it, right? Even though this was huge fraud, even though we have the servers after the shootout in Germany. And he still is replaced by Biden? Unless you want to believe that he's not actually not president anymore, which some of them will think, the rest of them, or a good chunk of them anyway, I think are going to be realize, oh, okay. I'm not, I still believe in Q and all this other stuff. I still believe there's a plan, but it is not a political plan. It doesn't involve the parties, and it doesn't involve voting. Because look what that is. And that would be funny if that happened. But I think that more likely people are going to get more politicized over time because of how much conditions are going to deepen into immiseration. Like I'm saying, not apocalyptically, it'll just be the same but worse. But, but, the, but worse has a compounding effect politically over time. As, and the, one of the things that the worse does is it makes culture more politically infused. It makes it harder to have a political culture. And of course, there's no such thing as a political culture. But I mean, political culture that does not have a specific partisan bent. A specific Democrat-Republican branding. And that, we, we talked on the show about, uh, or I talked to Felix recently about um, how Game of Thrones was like the last large-scale, long-term cultural product that did not have a partisan political branding to it. Towards the end, it became about Hillary Slay Queen stuff, 
But for a long time there, it was the last sort of apolitical cultural product that people could uh, care about. Now everything comes out branded. And that means that if you're going to engage in culture, which even if you don't care about politics now, you do have to do, because what else are you going to do? What else is there to do? All there is to do is, is engage at this level. Everything else is, every other area of self-expression is, is denied us. Or even sucker is denied us, unless you want to just kill yourself with fentanyl. And that means that the political branding is going to adhere to people as they engage with politics, or as they engage with culture. And I, maybe the only ones who will be able to withstand a, uh, a quietist position are the ones who turn it into a religion. Who, who, who don't need the political investment because they have transformed all of their, uh, their psychic pain into a, a, a religious narrative, a spiritual, personal narrative, for which there is no need to even uh, reference politics other than as a, a tapestry to, to, to examine. I don't know. I'm not one of them. We'll see. There is no more Christian right. That's not a coherent thing. Like, the Republican Party is white evangelicals, but those things are so tightly wound together now that there's not really a distinguishing point where you can say Christian right. It's just, it's like, all that stuff has been desacralized, which is why a lot of religious leaders, by the way, in the 70s were wary about becoming political. It was this exact outcome that they were avoiding. Like, if you had shown, if you'd been able to show a space, a, a robot... If you'd been able to send a robot back in time to like that, uh, that uh, Ramada Inn suite where all of the uh, uh, pastors got together to set up the moral majority, and you showed them Donald Trump in 2016 and said, this guy's going to be president thanks to you and like the political culture that you've helped create, I, some of them would be fine with it, but a lot of them would not have been. I bet Billy Graham would not have been. And that's not because they were good people. It's because they had standards of decorum that had not been degraded by the 40 years that happened after that moment. There's nothing Christian, there's nothing uniquely Christian about it is what I mean. It is the, it's the political project of the Republican Party. That they are the same thing. That there's no Christian, it's a, it's a redundancy. Like, the Christian right was supposed to be, like, separate from some other right. It's like, no, there's, there's a fuse, because anything that would have conflicted with the broader right project in Christianity has been jettisoned from Christianity. What's my favorite Great Lake? Michigan. That's the one I grew up next to. I grew up in a, in a lakeside town. Manitowoc is right on Lake Michigan. I, I lived maybe a mile from the beach. It doesn't matter that Amy Comey Barrett is in a cult. What does this have to do with anything? You're talking about like weird personal practices. Like, you might as well tell me that, like, Antonin Scalia was a gamer. It doesn't matter. I'm, the Manitowoc Mall is fucked now? Are you telling me it wasn't fucked but when I was a kid? I mean, that place had, like, three stores in it when I was a kid. I would see movies. I would watch movies where kids would go to the mall, and there would be escalators, and there would be food courts, and all this stuff. And I would just be stunned, because our mall really did feel like some... Like Eastern block shit. There's one ice cream parlor with like a, 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 like two video games, two arcade games, and then a fucking J.C. Penny. That was near the uh, uh, that was near the water tower that was prominently featured in Making a Murderer.
Why do I say Missouri is the South? Well, it's got the Ozarks, and it had slavery until 1863 or 1863. I mean, what does the South mean if not a slave-based economy? Like that's the, that was what the distinction ended up building, like the cultural and political distinction that, that brewed into the central crisis was about a mode of production. Maryland's the South too. JFK famously said about DC that it had uh, Northern hospitality and Southern efficiency. I have no idea. Delaware, to me, is not a real place. I mean, it is, it exists on paper to, to launder money. Delaware is just part of like a little chunk of Pennsylvania that they just carved off so that you could, uh, you, you couldn't have to pay taxes and you could charge usurious rates on, on credit cards. That's sleepy. I'm just a little sleepy. There's three counties in Delaware. That still seems like too too many. Why? Do you, why would? What kind of? What pretentious assholes? Like, yeah, no, we have to subdivide this further. Fuck you. You should be. The, you're the size of a county in a normal sized state. Get out of here. How can a billionaire be lumping? Uh, I think that. I think that we, I think the Republican Party is at top the party of lumpen billionaires. And the way you can be a lumpen billionaire is you're a lumpen billionaire who does not have a class consciousness, who is not operating out of a self-conscious desire to see, to see the broad advancement of his class, which is very hard to get. And you kind of have to be America to create that kind of thing. And we did it. And the, the battle at the top between the Democrats and Republicans is broadly between these lumpen billionaires, local, like the small business billionaires, and they're like uh, mini versions of them that stack down through the countries. Like you'll, you'll have some middle of nowhere town uh, that'll have like a, uh, in, in, in uh, Tennessee or something, and it'll have a, a plant that'll be owned by a guy, or there'll be like a fracking company owned by some other guy, and then there'll be like local like vassals of that guy who own all the Chick-fil-A's and or, or, or Chick-fil-A isn't franchise uh, own all the McDonald's or own all the the Popeyes and then there's a uh, that's not franchised either I don't think never mind whatever all the restaurants boat dealerships it's a strata of rich people who think that they're operating within an economy of in uh, where they are for looking out for themselves whereas the Democrats at the top are controlled by a self-consciously internationalized finance capital that sees itself as part of a global project. And the thing is, is that those lumpen billionaires are part of the same project. They just aren't aware of it because they are have been spending their time on that grind. Extraction industries, things like that. And the other problem is, is that they're short-term interests are in conflict in a lot of ways 
with the interests of that financialized global capitalism that the Democrats represent. And that's where you get the, any, the only real conflict, the only real sparks between the parties is that conflict. Piketty talks about this. Mike Davis has talked a lot about this. Like the merchants, as, like the merchant class, the, the lumpen what, rich versus sort of the class conscious financial wealth. Like Trump's support, like Trump's big dollar donors, for the most part, are not banks or, or, or bankers. They are like the Koch brothers or the Mercers. They're 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 in, they're involved in extraction, the short term, you know, turning over of uh, commodities. Tom Steyer, I hope, is made secretary of keeping it real because that guy, he's got sauce and I want to see him spray it all over the place. It's the rich assholes from the coast fighting with the rich assholes from the Midwest, basically. It's the coastal assholes, it's the, uh, it's finance and uh, Silicon Valley and entertainment against uh, extraction uh, and small and, and medium manufacturing. And, 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 all, and all that. My pillow guy is a perfect example. Yankees versus Cowboys, all, uh, uh, the difference is, is that this is what happens when the Cowboys fully take over. Because Reagan's revolution was supposed to bring the Cowboys into power, but only at the level of culture. At the, ba at the top level, they capitulated to the Rockefeller wing completely. They, and then they sold that to the regular Americans. Uh, now, you know, 40 years later, 40 years of capillary movement of, of people through the political system, it's now captured. And the, the election of Trump is just an expression of, like, the, the, the broader political culture created by that party. And that's why there are some people who say, like, if you want to bet on revolutionary potential, if you want to bid on anti-capitalist specifically potential, you've got to go with the Republicans over the Democrats. But these people are still billionaires. They still want a working class that is hyper-exploited and powerless. They have that same in desire. They just disagree about like, whether or not that can be carried out through like, protective tariffs or, uh, or free trade or whatever. That's the, the, that's the actual distinction. And uh, you can say, but, but that means that we should support them in their free trade. One, you can't support anybody. That's not real. Like this whole idea that you can make alliances with anybody in the system is fraudulent because there's no no one represents anybody but themselves. So you cannot. No one can say that we can do anything. There's no we in any of this. And then even when it is expressed, like when Trump expresses it, it's just like look at the trade war with China. What did that do for the American worker? And there's nothing in the Republican Party that can generate anything more effective on behalf of that lumpen billionaire uh, cowboy class than what Trump has done. I mean, and the big thing for me is both parties now have a vested interest in heightening conflict with China and nobody more than the cowboys. Nobody more than these lumpen billionaires that Josh Hawley is now trying to channel like a fucking uh, Houdini at a seance. And, and so... Since nobody's, no Americans' real interests are served by ratcheting tensions with China, and that is going to be the actual coherent expression of any hostility to global finance, we're seeing it already. Marsha Blackburn today, 5,000 years of perfidy from the heathen celestial. These guys are banging the anti-China drum. That's not going to help anybody. And that's all it can be, is to help this project of revanchist idiocy where we're going to blame the Chinese for our inability to deal with the fucking coronavirus. Um, at Matt Stoller's endgame, like all these guys' endgame, is some sort of confrontation with China that has to, at some point, sharpen into some military uh, element because we're the, we're the fucking biggest military in the world, and there are geostrategic questions in, in China or in, in Asia and 
Like, the, the makeup of our political class is going to determine, in some degree, our military response to that. And all you're going to get out of this, you know, lumpen, rich, reactionary hostility to the totalizing mission of world capitalism is a war with China. Congratulations. Great. Great work. No war with China. Cooperation with the Chinese against the ruling classes of both countries. Like I'm saying, mid-level officers of the, of the uh, People's uh, Liberation Army and the U.S. military, start some WhatsApps, send TikToks back and forth, get talking. And, the other th and the, of course, the real hilarious part of that is that that war with China is not necessarily something that the fucking global finance, uh, at least in the form of the Democratic Party as like a, as a political uh, gambit, is going to be that opposed to either. Did you see how quickly Democrats started yelling about China as soon as Biden won? Things keep getting worse. China's going to take more of the blame from both parties. So there you go. There's your big conflict at the top of the parties creating the same dynamic, the same ratchet. Congratulations. All right, guys, I'm packing. Apparently the video is lagging. I'm sorry, I have no ability to control that. Hopefully the audio will be good by itself. If you wanna just listen, it will be put on iTunes and Spotify. I know people have been asking if we stop doing that. We are still doing it. I think it just comes in batches. So sometimes it'll be a little bit of delay before they all get there. But they are still being uploaded. And then you can watch them without having to be annoyed that my lips are moving differently. All right. I'm going. Bye-bye. Lincoln lives, baby.